started a new series called Shift, Changing for Impact. Shift, Changing for Impact. Uh, last week, we uh, launched sermonically from Luke chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 11, and we talked about doing it differently. And so this week, as we continue in week two of our series, Shift, changing for impact we want to launch from another gospel today mark chapter 2 mark chapter 2 we will begin at verse number 18 from the english standard version mark chapter 2 verse number 18 uh, is where we will begin from the english standard version you should see that appearing on your screen momentarily as we read together there you will find these words now john's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And the people came and said to him, um, him being Jesus, why do John's disciples and the other disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Amen. We thanks be to God for the word of God for God's people today. And we pray that God will continue to add a blessing unto it and allow it to rest deep in your hearts. Uh, today, for the time that we have together, launching from uh, this particular text, the Mark's cha Mark chapter 2, um, as we continue in our sermonic series shift, I want to tag this text with the topic, embracing change, embracing change, embracing change. Change is perhaps one of the most common occurrences in the entire natural world. As day rolls to night, the sun gives way to the rising of the moon, painting the sky with an array of rich colors. As fall turns to winter, the green leaves turn to a spectrum of orange, red, and yellow shades before falling to the ground. The bellies of mothers grow as new life develops inside of them. Wherever we look, change is happening. New advances in medicine and technology help to improve the conditions and the circumstances of life. Change has been a natural part of the order of life even from the beginning of time. If we would flip to the beginning of the biblical text. Uh, in Genesis, we are told the story of how God transformed a dark, empty, and formless space into the perfect planet with the perfect balance for the coexistence for plants, animals, and humans alike. Change is, in fact, a revelation of the existence of God's movement in the history of creation. The change that takes place in the natural order of life comes in dual forms, both the expected and the unexpected. The expected changes are the ones that we can easily see the change from cold to hot as the seasons progress from winter to summer or the multi-level maturity that we experience as we move from childhood to adulthood. 
unexpected and uncontrollable change happens along our life's journey, which creates conflict and discomfort in the various stations of life. We are indeed right now living in a season of change. We have without notice, we have found ourselves in a global season of struggling to let go of what was while facing what is before us. We are having to unexpectedly navigate many transitional moments of life that unexpected change and uncertainty bring our way. And it's in the midst of these seismic shifts that God is looking to get our attention and to refocus us on what God desires for us to do and where God is trying to take us. The way we handle change directly affects our growth as disciples, as people, and as a community of faith. And I believe our text teaches us that receiving the revelation of what God is doing in the world comes when instead of fighting against change, we learn to embrace change. Our text today is a part of the dialogue between Jesus and some of the people in the home of the newest disciple, Levi. The first few verses of our text, Jesus has been, uh, first few verses before our text, rather, Jesus has been probed by the teachers of the law about his choice of company. Those whom he gathers with at Levi's house for dinner were tax collectors and other quote-unquote sinners, according to the Pharisees, who were looked down upon by society. Jesus, Jesus responds to this inquiry by saying that he has come to call the sinners and not the righteous. We'll say more about that in a couple of weeks. But following that exchange, Jesus is further questioned about the practice of fasting and why those who follow him don't participate in the Jewish tradition. Just to pause right here and remind you of what fasting is all about. Fasting was a ritualistic act used to show that genuine repentance for sin. Uh, the religious leaders of Jesus's day gave the discipline of fasting a great deal of weight. On that, on the day of a fast, there was no eating, no drinking, no grooming, no sexual intercourse. It was easy to tell when it was a day of fasting in a Jewish town because the religious leaders make sure that they could be found in the marketplaces, ungroomed and uh, dressed in their dirtiest clothing, with their face faces whitened with ashes to symbolize the sorrow that was associated with fasting. Because of their often over-the-top antics, the standard of righteousness became measured by how broke, busted, and disgusted one could look on days of fasting. When Jesus, uh, when the question rather about fasting was raised to Jesus, it was because the other Jewish teachers of the time led their disciples in participating in the religious ritual. Yet Jesus and his followers seemed to neglect the practice altogether. Jesus' response to the question of fasting uses three illustrations that point to the paradigmatic shift that is taking place in the history of God's interaction with humanity. The Pharisees were basing their practice in the tradition of their forefathers, yet Jesus is reintroducing God and reinterpreting teachings and concepts that challenge the very foundation on which the religious leaders of his day stand. There is a supernatural change taking place that has manifested in authoritative teachings, miraculous healing, and radical relationships. And Jesus is at the heart of this new movement. This change that is happening has caught the eye of the religious leaders uh, who grow more and more hostile and critical of Jesus and his teachings and his followers. Our text today 
gives us a great glimpse into our own resistance to embracing things that are new and things that are changing. The truth be told, handling change and embracing change is a challenge for us. As we consider the religious leaders' hostility towards the change that Jesus is bringing to pass, we must consider our own struggle with embracing change. Change causes conflict because it compels us to move up beyond the place uh, of our comfort zone. Change challenges us to rethink how we have always done things. Change comes in a manner which we don't expect, and we can be resistant to it because God's movement in our lives comes in a manner that we didn't anticipate. Change calls, uh, calls us to heed and embrace for God's call for us to try things a new way. We want to stay when God is clearly telling us to go. We want to walk when God is telling us to run. We want to keep going when God is telling us to stop. We want to stick to the old when God is calling us to step into the new. God uses the changes and the shifts to help us move into new methods, new ways of being, and new avenues of advancement so that God's kingdom can come and God's will can be done. And in order for that to happen, we have to learn to embrace change. What does then embracing change require of us? I'm glad you asked. Three things I think the text shows us today. First, embracing change means that we must learn to overcome the complications of comparison. We must learn to overcome the complications of comparison. You ought to put that in the chat right now. Uh, in verses 18, uh, uh, verse 18 of our text, some people came to Jesus. Wanting to know how the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees were fasting, but Jesus' own disciples did not participate in the practice. In this initial question, we can see that some people, whether they were the disciples of John the Baptist or disciples of the Pharisees, create a point of comparison between these three different movements. This is not the first of the comparisons between Jesus and the other religious leaders of the day. The Gospels hold many examples like what we see here in this particular passage, placing Jesus in competition with other teachers and religious leaders. John the Baptist and the Pharisees, along with their respective followers, appeared to have themselves together. They strictly adhered to the structured fast twice a week, along with following other religious practices. What they were doing seemed right in comparison with Jesus' ragtag band of bad boy disciples who hung out with the outcast of society. The inquiring minds of some people desired to know who was wrong and who was right. When, things, when change shows up in our lives, we do just like some people did in the text. We start the comparisons. We compare one church to the next church. We compare our old boss to the new boss. We compare one generation or our generation to another generation. We compare one iteration or season of the church or of our family to another generation or iteration of our family or of the church. We compare the way we used to do things to how things are being done now. We compare our churches, our jobs, our families, and even ourselves to those who look like they have it together and decide that we must be doing something wrong because we aren't experiencing the same success. Conversely, when we feel like we have it all figured out, if we aren't careful, we can find ourselves looking at others assuming that what they are doing is wrong because they don't do it the same way that we do it. We like to compare things, y'all, to decide who is right. 
and who is wrong. But if we look closely at Jesus's response, we discover that it's not all about right and wrong, but it is about what is appropriate for the present time. Jesus responds to the question posed in verse 18 using the scenario of a traditional wedding feast where the bride and the groom spent their honeymoon week with special guests who would share in this once-in-a-lifetime celebration. Jesus tells them that it doesn't make sense for anyone to fast during a time of great joy and merriment, but eventually the time will come where fasting will be appropriate. Jesus uses the wedding feast as a metaphor for his establishment of the new paradigm in, the, in God's divine order. The disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees fasted as they anticipated the coming kingdom of God. But Jesus' disciples were already celebrating the wedding as the first citizens of the new kingdom. Jesus never says that fasting is a bad ritual to keep, but he says that it isn't the proper time for fasting to take place. The teacher in, wrote in Ecclesiastes that uh, there is a time for everything under the sun. And Jesus reminds us that the change that we are called to embrace is appropriate for this present time according to the divine order and divine will of God. Change comes to keep us in pursuit of God. However, when we start comparing what others are doing, being, and having to what we do, are, and have, our focus shifts from the pursuit of God to keeping up with the people around us or the history that is behind us. When we question God about what God is doing elsewhere, we limit our openness to what God wants to do right where we are. Overcoming the complications of comparison means that we focus on the new thing that God is doing before us because it is appropriate for the growth God desires for us to experience. We need to have some, what some would call a growth mindset. We got to stop thinking about what was and start dealing with what is. We have to embrace what God is doing right Right now embrace the new opportunities we have right now embrace the new ways to move ministry forward through our lives and through our church right now we must realize that what is appropriate and necessary for our present time is right before us and we have to keep our focus on what God is up to and where God is leading us not only uh, does embracing change require us to uh, learn how to overcome the complications of comparison but if we're going to embrace change we must adjust the standard for our situation we have to adjust the standard for our situation i hope somebody types that in the chat there is no doubt that those who raise the question about fasting in uh, to jesus in verse 18 use a traditional jewish act as a measuring stick for righteousness the practice of fasting was one of the major religious customs of the Jewish culture. It started as a once-a-year national fast on the Day of Atonement and moved to being a twice-a-week uh, ritualistic act of repentance and discipline. Fasting was one of those uh, ways used to fulfill the standard of the law. But there was a glaring issue. The law had so many rules and fo and, uh, to follow and requirements to complete which made it very hard, even impossible, to meet all of its ramifications. Yet when Jesus came presenting change through his new teachings, many of the Jewish people were not even willing to let go of what they had always done. Y'all, my oldest son 
Uh, he gets really attached to clothing. Actually, both of my sons do get really attached to clothing. He clothing. Uh, my, my oldest boy can wear the same shirt over and over uh, and over again, and they can have holes in them, tears in them, whatever. He just wants to wear that shirt because he loves that shirt. And so one day, uh, as we were trying to get rid of some of these shirts that he needed to have replaced, uh, he asked if we could just sew up the holes in the shirt so that he could keep it and keep on uh, wearing it. And our answer, of course, to him was no. And when he asked why we told him listen you have more shirts to wear first of all this ain't the only shirt you have you can't have mom and daddy have people thinking mom and daddy ain't taking care of you because you want to wear this same shirt every day but the most important thing is that sometimes things don't need to be repaired they just need to be replaced verse 21 tells us that Jesus likens the Jewish standard of righteousness to an old garment that needs mending Jesus shows us that sometimes we have to replace what is broken, replace what is ineffective, replace what is damaged instead of looking for new ways to repair them. Jesus was offering a new version of the standard to which the Pharisees had been accustomed. The Jewish standard was one of complex rituals, but the Jesus standard was simple. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The Jewish standard uh, uh, was limited man's access to God's forgiveness, but the Jesus standard gave open access to everyone who would believe. The Jewish standard measured righteousness through appearance before men, before men, but the Jesus standard measures righteousness through the conditions of our hearts before God. The Jew Jewish standard led to death because nobody was able to satisfy the stringency of its requirements. But the Jesus standard leads to life covered by grace through faith in him. The Jewish standard was broken, it was ineffective, and it was outdated. And the only thing that was good enough to replace it was a standard that was introduced by Jesus Christ. When we embrace change, y'all, it helps us to grow. And a part of that growth process is figuring out what needs to stay and what needs to go. Just like we had to tell my son. Uh, too many times we find ourselves in our individual and collective context measuring a new situation by an old standard. Our relationships, our churches, our families suffer because we can't let go of how things used to be and deal with the reality of how things are now. We have decided many times that how things will play out in our minds based on some old outdated situational standard that we have outgrown or just plain old doesn't apply to the current context without ever giving the chance for change uh, before us a chance however Jesus calls for us to adjust our standard for the new thing that God is doing by replacing the damaged defective and deficient understanding with that which inspires new life in the dead places of our our existence. Here's the bottom line, y'all. Whatever isn't growing is dying. And too often we are guilty of strangling the life out of our relationships, strangling the life out of our churches, strangling the life out of our community, strangling the life out of our own selves because we are because we misunderstand the moment. We misunderstand the movement and we misunderstand the mission. When we find ourselves in these transitional moments, we should be discerning what God wants us to hold on to and what we should be letting go of. Regardless of how much you love it and how much you prefer it, it's not about what you want, it's about what God wants because what God wants is ultimately
ultimately going to be best for us. Everything and everyone that was with you in the last season of your life can't go with you into the next season of our life. So our prayer ought to be, God, help me to let go. Help me to let go of some people. Help me to let go of some thoughts. Help me to let go of some habits. Help me to let go of some hurts. Help me to let go of some successes. Help me to let go of some failures. God, help me to let go of yesterday so I can experience the fullness of today and the fruit of tomorrow. God, help me let go of what has been so that I can walk in what will be. God, help me let go. You ought to type it in the comments. That ought to be your prayer this week. God, help me let go. <clears throat> Going to embrace change. We got to learn to let go. We have to learn in order to embrace change. And embracing change requires for us to learn these things. Overcome the complication of comparison. To adjust the standard for our situation. And if we're going to embrace change, we must allow our present help to replace our prior habits. In his illustration about the wedding feast, in verse 19, Jesus emphasizes the celebration that ensued because of the presence of the bridegroom. Jesus' response was not only practical for the understanding of the people of his time, but it was autobiographical, allowing those who had ears to hear to understand that Jesus is the bridegroom. However, those who called into question the religious practices of Jesus and his disciples were not receptive to this because Jesus didn't fit their ideal of what the coming Messiah would look like. In verse 22, Jesus likens uh, the resistant people to old wineskins that were too brittle and dried out to sustain the process of wine fermentation. One of the key factors to ensure that new wine would reach maturity was the ability of the wineskins to be elastic enough, to be flexible enough, uh, to stretch as the gases from the wine expanded in it. After a certain number of uses, the wineskin would lose their elasticity and become useless. When we as the religious leaders and their disciples were are so stuck in our ways that we can't recognize the presence of our help because of our resistance to the new thing that is happening before us, we have sentenced ourselves to a slow and painful death. And for too many of us, and for too many churches, we have chosen death over life. We have prayed and waited for a change. We've prayed and waited for something different to happen. We've prayed and waited for a new opportunity or another chance. But when it comes, when it comes our way, we don't have the maturity or the discernment to recognize it because we have in our minds the way it should look and it shows up in a way that we didn't anticipate. We dismiss it and we downplay its significance and we doubt that it is in, uh, that it, God is in it because we've tried to limit God based on what our expectations are. But God, y'all, wants to do a new thing. And God's new thing must be done on God's terms, not our terms. Just because a change comes in a manner that is unexpected to us doesn't make it a bad idea. We may have never done it this way, but it doesn't mean that it's not worth a try. We spend too much tr time trying to address today's issues with yesterday's solutions when a more effective solution is staring us right in the face. 
in our rejection of a new idea, a new methodology, a new concept, a new thought process, an unexpected transition, we ensure that nothing will change, but in fact, things will actually get worse. Jesus says in verse 22, that putting new wine in old wineskins would destroy the wineskins and spill the wine. If we never embrace the change, we can fully expect deterioration to set in. We ought not be afraid to try something new, especially if it will help us to grow to be better and more effective. Using worn out, antiquated, obsolete methods will continue to get us what we have always gotten. Jesus is teaching us that we must be like the new wineskins. We must be flexible and ready to receive whatever means God gives us uh, the, the change we need and the change we desire. This means that we have to open our minds and open our hearts to perceive and receive the new thing that God is doing before us. Don't miss it because it's a matter of life and death. It's the difference between progression and regression. It's the answer to that burning question that you've been asking. It's the solution to that nagging problem that you've been trying to figure out. Don't miss it. The change that we've been looking for is right here in our midst. The change that we've been praying for is right here in our our presence and it's been right here all along don't allow what you used to do where you used to go and how you used to think to be the barrier that keeps you from what God is desiring to do in your life today it may not come in the package that we expect or happen um, as seamlessly as we imagine but it is present and it is here to help you if our lives are going to be lived uh, in purpose and on purpose if our churches are going to be sanctuaries of salvation if our families and communities are going to experience the healing that they are crying out for we have to ask God to open up our eyes to see the change we gotta ask God to open up our minds to recognize the change we're gonna have to ask God to open up our hearts to embrace the change that is before us religious leaders the Jewish nation were all waiting. That's why they were fasting. All of their fasting, all of their prayers, all of their scripture study, all of their worship services were passing time until the arrival of the Messiah, the coming king of the Jews. They, they were ready for ushering in of a holy new era on the back of this divine Messiah who was to come. They were ready for an age of peaceful existence. They were ready for the complete redemption of the Jewish people. Their eyes and hearts and minds were turned a heavenward in expectation of the Messiah and his coming reign but they didn't realize that their present help that the psalmist sung uh, that the psalmist sung of was currently in their midst they were looking for a political leader who descended from the king of David and overlooked the carpenter's son who was born in the city of David they were looking for a leader who was well versed in Jewish law and they overlooked the 12 year old boy who taught the teachers how to teach in the synagogue they were looking for a leader who was charismatic and inspiring and overlooked the one who inspired men by saying simply follow me they were looking for a leader who would rebuild the temple and overlooked the one who said destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up they were looking for a, mess a messiah to ride in on a stallion 
in, but they overlooked the one who rode in on a donkey. Jesus offered them the new wine of a new covenant, but they rejected him and stretched him high and wide on Golgotha's hill. The old wineskins couldn't hold the new wine that Jesus bought, and Jesus' blood was spilled on Calvary's hill for you and for me. Jesus offered them the cloak of true righteousness, but they rejected him. And when he died, the patch of the the new patch of cloth tore the old garment of the veil to the holy of holies in two. Jesus offered them a seat at the table of the bridegroom, but they rejected him and placed his broken body in a borrowed tomb. But you know the rest of the story, and I'm glad to report today that Jesus didn't have an issue with change. Y'all, he didn't resist. Uh, he didn't retreat. Uh, he didn't rebel. Uh, in fact, my Bible tells me uh, that Jesus, as he was drugged uh, from courthouse to courthouse, uh, didn't never said a mumbling word. Uh, he, and when he died on that Friday, uh, they placed him uh, in that borrowed tomb, uh, and he laid there all the rest of the day Friday. Uh, he laid there all day on Saturday, uh, but you know how the story ends that early on Sunday morning he got up with all power in his hands and it's because of Jesus that we can embrace change and when change shows up in our lives we can handle it things might be changing around us but we can handle it because our present help is with us we are never walking alone because Emmanuel the only begotten son of of the father Emmanuel God with us Emmanuel uh, the one that God sent through 40 and two generations uh, is leading us and guiding us uh, along the way uh, we may encounter the unexpected uh, but God is with us we may not know who holds tomorrow uh, what tomorrow holds but we know who holds tomorrow because God is with us we might not know what the thing looks like uh, coming our way but it doesn't matter because as the psalmist said yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me is there anybody here in this chat today anybody on a zoom conference call today that can lift their hands and lift up their voice in praise glad about the fact that even in the midst of change even in the midst of shifting circumstances that God is with us. So glad that God is with us. Because God is with us, we've got to embrace the change that God is leading us into. We ought not be like the Israelites as they stood with Pharaoh's army at their back in the Red Sea in front of them who murmured against God and said it would have been better if we would have just stayed in bondage. No, let's be free. And let's trust that God it's going to open up ways that we never expected and do things for us that we could have never anticipated. But the only way we get that to happen is if we learn to embrace the change that is before us. Come on, let's bow for a word of prayer. God, we thank you for uh, this text and for what we learned about how we can embrace change. God, it's our prayer today that you would help us in this season, God, to embrace change, that yes, uh, the message of who we are as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as 
believers in his life, death, and resurrection. And in the key foundational principles of what it means to be a Christian, they don't change. But God, the method, the methodology, the preference, the desires that we might have, they can all be shifted. And they all need to be aligned with what you are doing in the world. And that our prayer will be the same as Jesus taught the disciples, that your will would be done so that your kingdom can come on earth as it is in heaven. So God, help us to discern what we need to let go of. Help us to not focus on what everybody else is doing, but to focus on what we are doing. God, help us to recognize that you are right here with us, that you've given us resources and tools and gifts and skills to make this next season as impactful as seasons gone by. God, today, we ask now that you would touch the heart of some man, woman, boy, or girl who may be watching this right now. Some man, woman, boy, or girl who needs to connect their lives with you through Jesus Christ. God, we pray today, God, that through a song that was sung, something that was said sermonically or in a prayer, God, that your spirit will touch their hearts today it will cause them to say yes unto you. God, that they will walk into the newness of life that you have for them. God, it's our prayer today. God, that they would commit themselves unto you. Don't leave them alone until they say yes. God, we pray today for those who need to rededicate their lives. God, that they would take this moment and this opportunity to recommit themselves to following you, to embracing the change that you dare bring into their lives to embracing this moment that you are working through God in order to help us to be the very best and to walk into the purpose that you have for our lives. And even those who would desire to partner their lives with our church and our ministry and the work that you've called us to do in this season, God, we're praying now that you would help them to submit and partner with us in this period, God, and that you would continue to send those our way who are part and will help us to accomplish your will for our church and for our lives. God, we thank you now. Have your way. Be with us. Allow this word to rest in our hearts and resonate in our spirits over the course of these next few days. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen.